Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All righty. We left off in 214. So keep in mind where we've been now, where our journey has taken us. Paul is really mad, right? This is not the nice Paul. This is not good cop Paul. This is bad cop Paul. He's coming out guns blazing, right? First word out of his mouth. Doesn't say hi, how you doing? It comes out yelling and screaming and stomping his fist and doing all kinds of fun things because these churches in Galatia were allowing themselves to be misled by other evangelists coming into town and leading them to take the truth of the Christian faith, which is based on faith, and adding to it now the law. And so basically they're saying the law is just as important as faith is. So Paul is making this huge case of how ridiculous that is. I mean, he's yelling at him. He says, you know, who are you to think that you get to change the rules? You know, why would you do that? I gave you the truth, and you are now rejecting it. So, it was bad enough that that was happening, having these other evangelists come into town and warp the truth of the, of the faith. But as we started verse 11 last week, we discovered Peter, <laughs> the head of the church, had a major, major indiscretion. So remember the scene. Some of the people from Jerusalem, Christians from Jerusalem, formerly Jews, were coming out to see Peter now who is in exile in Antioch because of the persecution. And so Peter had the regular practice of, because Jesus told him it's okay, go ahead and hang out with Gentiles. It's fine. And eat the food they eat. And Peter's first response is, I've always wanted to try bacon. And so he does. And he loved it. And so he's enjoying hanging out with Gentiles, eating their food, doing everything. So there's no distinction. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no distinction of color. There's no distinction of male and female, slave or free. There is no distinction whatsoever. Peter was absolutely sure of that because Jesus himself told him that. When these people from Jerusalem came to visit with Peter, Peter all of a sudden pretends like he doesn't know any Gentiles. He begins to shy away from Gentiles because he's afraid that these guys from Jerusalem, these former Jews, now Christian, would go back and report to the other leaders in the church and get Peter into trouble. This is not good. So what Paul is saying in verse 14 Peter, you claim to live one way like a Gentile, but now you're reverting back and demonstrating that you're expecting Jews to be Gentiles to become Jews first before they become Christian. So basically, in one act, Peter, you have reverted the Christian faith back 20 years, essentially back to the cross. Everything we have gained over 20 years 
in our public relations <laughs> and, and advertising the Christian faith as available to everybody by that one single act as the leader of the church, you've discounted all of that. In fact, we probably have lost ground. We would have been better off not doing it at all to have done it so well for so long and now to go backwards to it. So he's really, really mad. Now, I, I forgot to say earlier, you know, here for a little while, you know, usually I have a lot of questions. Um, I got a whole section here where I really don't have any questions. So whatever hits you guys, throw something at me and uh, let's let's talk. But I, I don't have any specific questions here for at least a, a, a little while here tonight. So jump right in at whatever point. So what Paul is saying is that Peter was forcing Gentiles to do what he himself was not doing. And you see the word force? You're forcing him to do it. I mean, that's it's not a request. Forcing means do this or else. But again, the double standard, the hypocrisy that Paul mentions earlier. That's what he's talking about. You're living one way, and now you're expecting them to live differently. You're so mixed up giving that mixed message. Now nobody knows what you believe. Therefore, we can only conclude you believe nothing. Your credibility is completely gone at that point. So Peter, what he's done is to allow fear to dictate his behavior that went against the truth of the gospel. So the lesson of the day is we usually associate peer pressure with teenagers. There's peer pressure with adults as well. Right? We don't outgrow that. Now, coming into verse 15. See the term Gentile sinner? You haven't seen that before, have you? But in fact, that was a term used back in that day by the legalistic Jewish Christians, those who were trying to bring back all the, the Old Testament law into the Christian faith, because what they were saying is these are Gentile sinners because... They thought the Gentiles were still sinners because A, they were not born into the law, They're not, they weren't born in the Jewish faith, and B, they had no desire to obey the law. So you see the exclusion of that. Basically, those on the inn are saying, we can't let you in until you follow this set of rules. And that's why Paul is so mad. We have made such great strides in welcoming in Gentiles, and now all of a sudden, even though we agreed in Jerusalem years before, we have a common understanding of what the truth of the gospel is, and that's what we have vowed to share. Peter single-handedly went against everything they had agreed to and changed all the rules. In verse 17, Paul is simply saying that Jesus will not lead us into sin. You already knew that, right? Okay. So you need to ask yourself, well, why does Paul feel it necessary to say that? Because when you add law into it, now it makes Jesus look like a bad guy. That Jesus is the one who is monitoring the law. And so for the next couple of verses, that, that, that's what he's talking about. You know, so Paul makes it very clear, we're justified by faith. We're accepted by God simply because of what Jesus has done for us. Period. Not with something else added, just because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, justified by faith brings about a, a courtroom image. 
And what Paul is saying is, in your system, when you combine the law with the, the truth of the gospel, you're making Jesus now judge and jury over every little thing you do. So now, since we accept that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, Paul's trying to make the point, the judge, if you're going to look at it that way, the judge has declared you are free from guilt. The power of sin is gone. Because we're not offered salvation by our own merits. It is not according to what we do. You're not saved by your good works. You should have good works, but you're not saved by it. Again, hearken back to the cross, the thief there. You know, Jesus say, well, I'm glad, glad you accept me. That's just awesome. So we're going to pause here. I'm going to take you down from the cross, take you to the Jordan River, baptize you, and then for the next year you have to do good works, and if your works are good enough, then you get to go to heaven. That's not what happened, right? He had absolutely no opportunity to do any good works at all. He's nailed to the cross, right? But Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, right? So it cannot be dependent on good works. Now, let's be clear. Paul is not against good works. He's already said that the sign of the true Christian is a life of good works. But we must understand that our good works are not the means to be accepted by God. It's, you, you don't... You're not accepted by God. You're not saved because of your good works. So, what we're talking about now is, and what Paul has, has already br brought to bear is, yeah, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So we kind of got to separate them. So what Paul is really talking about here is, is the work of the Spirit in our lives. Um, by the time we get to Galatians 5, pretty famous part, it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? The, these, these good works will be demonstrated in these ways, is what he's going to be saying. He's got to build up the case to, to get us there, but that's what he's leading up to. So, Absolutely, he's saying you've got to have good works. If you are alive and you're and you're you're breathing, you need to have some good works. But it's not with God. It, it it's not a standardized number. Like it's not you've got to do a thousand good works before you die, or you don't get to go to heaven, or whatever number you like. It's probably seven 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 or something like that. <laughs> Reagan's got something really important to say. I don't know if it's important. It says, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. I'm not sure by that sentence right there. I really know what a Gentile is or, or what they're trying to say there. So explain it, to, what, what, explain it to me what I don't know that I'm missing or not missing or understanding. because The Jewish Christians referred to Gentiles as Gentile sinners. Because they were still believing that you had to follow the law. You, you, you basically had to still be Jewish. So that's what Paul's been saying all along. They were trying to combine equally the law of Moses and Jesus. 
to opposing thoughts, but that's what they were doing, and they created a, a new religion out of it and called it Christianity. And unfortunately, those in leadership, including Peter, promoted that in the early days. So there was a huge block in the Christian church that still believed that, that you've got to be, if, if you're a Gentile, then the only way you can be Christian is that first you be circumcised, you go to Jew school, you go through the entire process, and then finally we will accept you as a Christian. So then everybody else in that area that wasn't a Jew, they were considered Gentiles. Right, you're either Jew or Gentile. Those are your choices, right. Which was 99% of the world. But, but it does... Okay, then let me ask you this. Could a Jew be... Well, I guess they could. Could a Jew be a Gentile and... and, and, and no? You're one or the other. And a Jew, and that's what he's saying here, in the, the Gentile center is it, it's a birthright. This is all the way you're born. But you could be a Jew and choose to be a Gentile. No. No? No. Right. You can be a Jew and become a Christian, yes, but you can't, you, you know. It's, it's a, it's, you, you can't change who your parents are. Just like you're, you're, you're Spanish or, or Italian right. or something. Right, okay. you can't okay. change that. So that's how that, okay. Right, so that. you're either born a Jew or you are born a Gentile. And then you are that way your entire life. And yes, that's that's the controversy, because that's you know those on the end were the Jews who kept claiming that well, we got it, you don't. We're going to make it incredibly difficult, if not impossible, for you to get it. So then you're saying everybody else over there that was not a Jew was considered a Gentile. So basically, Whatever. basically Jews are in Israel. And they're the, okay, all right, all right. So now, guess you know, remember the map? Remember where we are? We're way out in Turkey and out there in, in Gentile land. Right? Very few Jews out there. But nonetheless, since Christianity started in Israel, started in Jerusalem, that was viewed as the headquarters. And so the, the, the rules and regulations and all the process of being a Christian came from Jerusalem. Because that's where Peter, James, and John were. The leaders. So whatever they said, then that's transmitted throughout the entire Christian world, and those are the rules that you have to follow. And that's why Paul then went to Jerusalem, to the headquarters, and worked it out with them. What is They had to establish what the universal truth of the gospel is. I mean, you can't have more than one truth, right? So we have to agree on that. And so Paul told us in chapter 1 that I went there, and after two weeks... Spending with Peter and then finally met James, it was an awesome experience because everything I told them, they agreed with. And what was revealed to me was from Jesus himself, wasn't from any human being. This is what, what God himself gave to me, and it was confirmed by the hierarchy, by the, the officials of the church. We have a universal agreement on these important essential matters. That's awesome and incredible. Now, they sent Paul out into the Gentile world. We're going to hang out in Israel and continue to work with, 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 the, with the Jewish people, but we need you to go to the Gentiles. And Paul says, that's perfect because that's what Jesus told me I needed to do, and I'm glad to do it. Let me go hang out with, with Gentiles. And that has to do with the law and then God's law. 
the, the the law is God's law. They're not two two different things. The law is the law. The law God gave to Moses to be passed on from generation to generation. But I, I was talking the law of the land like like we have laws like. Oh, okay. No, I'm, not, I'm wrong. Now. No, no, that's the, no. We're we're talking Jewish law. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those are identical terms. Okay. So the law, God's law, the Mosaic law, you know, have a hundred different ways to describe it, but that's what we're talking. Just all those rules and regulations, mostly thou shalt nots, you know, and all that jazz. Right. All right. But that's that's the controversy. And so you you we had done really good at combining together and honoring and respecting each other, Jews and Gentiles. And then all of a sudden it completely fell apart because you have this whole block now. I mean, just one person thought, well, we ought to start going back to being circumcised and follow the law. And he told another person who believed it, another person, another person, and pretty soon, you know, even the big guns in the Christian church now are starting to believe it. And obviously Peter thought that, well, you know, social pressure, I better I better not associate with these Gentiles. It'll get me, get me in trouble. Well, in fact, what he wound up doing was give that stamp of approval to something absolutely against the truth of the gospel and that's why paul is just so mad it's like how in the world as a leader of the church could you do that was something so obvious something that jesus himself addressed you and straightened you out on so the fruit of the spirit that paul refers to is simply another way of saying that as we offer ourselves to be led by the spirit that's when we'll do good works so we do the good works as the result of, you can call it anything you want, having Jesus in your life, of being filled in the Spirit. Um, there's a bunch of different biblical ways to describe it. It all means the same thing. But you're doing the good works because of Jesus, not because you're a good person. That's the important distinction. So when we're filled in the Spirit, then we're naturally going to do good works. And by the time we get to chapter 5, that's what he's going to say. So the fruit of the Spirit are the natural manifestations of our relationship with Christ in the Spirit. These are things that naturally happen, like love, like joy, like peace, like patience. How are you doing with patience? I don't have time for that. Um, yeah, Kindness and goodness and, and then, of course, self-control. Right? How you doing with that? Right? So those are the natural manifestations of being in the Spirit. So that we should never, ever have to tell anyone, I am a Christian. Because if you are doing those nine things, love, joy, peace, patience, and all the, all the rest, you are going to be so radically different than the, the, the culture around you. It'll be like you just have it written across your forehead. Only a Christian would act that way. Atheists know that because they too, remember, go back to Romans chapter 1. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> Everybody has the Holy Spirit in them, right? Trying to beat them over the head with the truth. So they will look at you and say, oh, there's a Christian. They don't know how they know that. They won't admit how they know it, but they know it you will stand out like a sore thumb. Right? And that's, that's what he's talking about here. So, 
What Peter has done is the exact opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. He has segregated, he has, he has ignored, he's, he's discriminated against a huge block of God's people. And Paul just can't believe it. How does that happen? We're going to do good works because we realize we have received a gift that we don't deserve. Right? Again, it's not based on merit. So we realize that we've been given a gift freely, and we want to respond freely to share that gift with others. So it's, it's not a law that we do it, but we can't help ourselves from doing it. Go ahead, Peggy. You know what I find really cool, though, is that he was a disciple and he screwed up so bad. Yep. He did not throw him out. He was still one of the twelve. So I, 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 I hope you'll remember that when I screw up really bad. <laughs> okay, I'll try to remind you. <laughs> Please. <laughs> no, that, that, yeah. yeah and, and that's why you know, when, when you ask, ask people, you know, who's your favorite disciple, most people say Peter. Because, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we, ho we hope it's Peter because if Peter got a break, we do too. I mean, that's really what it means. So, and, and that's when we're talking about the Christian faith to non believers, I mean, you have to break through all those preconceptions that they have. And one of those preconceptions is well, Christians are perfect people, they never make mistakes. And the problem is, they hear about what happens in churches, and they know people are making mistakes, therefore, they can't be Christians, therefore, I don't want to be part of that. You see, we shoot ourselves in the foot. Right? So we have to enter into their lives and be willing to spend some time with them so that they will see that we're just regular folk. Having a good time, but we're regular folk. Right? We're, 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 we're having a good time with a purpose. Again, so it, it's not... We're not good for our own sake. We're not good so that others will look at us and say, wow, there, there goes a really good person. Then, yeah... By the way, at, at my funeral, no one is allowed to say he was a good man. I hate that. That's just ridiculous. Everybody's a good man. As, as if to tell, tell God, well, this guy deserves to go to heaven. No, that's, that's ridiculous. He's, you know, goodness has nothing to do. That's what Jesus is. You know, they, they try to call Jesus good? Remember what he... Oh, oh, oh no. I'm not good. Right? Only, only Father in heaven is good. He wouldn't allow himself to be called good. He is God, for crying out loud. Right? So, yeah, goodness has nothing to do with it. It's simply, we are people of the Spirit, and, and we will do what we can when we can. It doesn't matter the, the magnitude of what we do in somebody else's life. It doesn't matter the frequency of what we do in the lives of others. There's no angel in heaven keeping score for you. And when you arrive at the pearly gates, and guess who's at the pearly gates? You know, knucklehead Peter, right? Well, they keep him kind of out there because he just, you know, they don't want him running around heaven too much. It's like, like, holy cow, yeah, it's just don't let that guy in, whatever you do. <laughs> Put him at the gate, all right, that makes a lot of sense. So when you, get to, when, you, when you get to the gate, he's not there with your scorecard and say, well, come on in, you did a thousand good works, or you did, you know, 14 or whatever it was, whatever the magic number is, the minimum expected requirement of good works. That has nothing to do with it. So I, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again, and because I, I believe it more and more every day, is that when we, when we say we're living by faith, means that what the point Paul's trying to make here is 
that we will we will share Christ with others. I mean, that's the bottom line. Now, you can do that by helping somebody physically and get them a meal. You can help with their car. You can do a thousand different things to help people. But you do it so that they know you're doing it because of Christ. And if they accept Jesus, fine. If not, you don't get any negative points for that. It's not a scorecard. Well, I brought 14,000 people into the kingdom of God that you know, accepted Christ because of me. Oh, really? Well, you know. That doesn't work. We would like it to. I mean, it actually makes sense to us. But then that, that again, there's division there. There's, there's separation. That there's better and worse people and you know, all of that. And it doesn't matter. So essentially, if you... This is, this is my biblically-based theory. If you talk to a thousand people about Jesus, I mean, sincerely focused on, on exposing them and sharing Christ with them, and not one of them accepted Jesus, you, you still go to heaven. Now, a person who shares Christ with a thousand people and has a thousand converts... Does that person get a better heaven than you? Yeah. Heaven platinum? <laughs> is, that, is that all that works? Of course not. You're either in or you're out. So our goal is to be faithful, not successful. We, we base success on, on numbers. That's nowhere in, in Scripture. It has nothing to do with it. Our faithfulness is simply in doing what we're told to do. We're told to go into all the world and cheer Jesus. Right? There's no other qualification. So if you do that faithfully, you're good to go. Now, I think after a thousand people, you know, you get one or two along the way, maybe, you know. But the number doesn't matter because the conversion is up to the Spirit, not up to you. So does it make you a bad salesperson? <laughs> right? That's the way we look at it, but it's that's not true. It's simply the good works that others will see Christ in and through us. That's what it's all about. So the fruit then that he's going to be talking about in a couple chapters is how we do that. You love people into the kingdom. You show them what, what this peace that goes beyond human understanding is like. And wouldn't you like some of that? Right? So you create the desire for people to, to come into that. So again, here in verse 17, what, what he's, he's trying to argue is that Jesus is not a judge with a gavel in his hand and just waiting for you to screw up or keeping track of your good works so that once you reach the minimum number then you're in we have a gift and we simply now want to share that with others so to be justified by faith has nothing to do with good works well, at the same time, having everything to do with good works. Break into small groups and discuss that. Um, now, I'm not talking about both sides of my mouth. 
Does the base principle, again, thief on the cross didn't have an opportunity to do it. He still gets into heaven. All right? Okay, nobody here is hung on a cross right now. Just thought I would check. Okay, so we have opportunity now to respond to grace in our lives. So the question we ask ourselves is, what am I going to do about that? And your choice is basically, I'm going to keep it to myself, or I'm going to share it. And again, the response you get, if you get punched in the nose, go, go to Matthew 5. There's a double blessing for being persecuted because of me, he says. There's not a double blessing because you're a jerk. It's only because I'm trying to share Jesus authentically with you. If that causes me to be persecuted, you get a double blessing. Being meek, being poor in spirit, you get a single blessing. You want a double blessing? Be willing to stick your neck out for the sake of Jesus. That's where the fun is. So we're justified by faith. And because of that, that's all because of what Jesus did. It has nothing to do with, with what we do. You can get to heaven just based on that. But if we have time here on earth, don't we want to do something good for somebody else? I mean, isn't that kind of a natural thing when somebody does something nice for you, you want to do something nice back to them? I think most of us are that way. God has done something nice for you. What do you want to do for God? Well, we discover what God says he would like us to do. And we choose to do that. So the justification comes, and here's, here's the point, Reagan. It comes not because of the law. Not because you're adhering to a set of rules and regulations. It instead comes simply, totally and exclusively because of faith. Now, Martin Luther, Protestant number one, the prototype of Protestants, that's how it began. You start reading the Bible, reading these letters of Paul, and it's just blown away. I was never taught this before. I never heard this before. Because the church he grew up in was all rules and regulations. So Peter really screwed things up, and literally for the next 1,500 years, the church morphed the whole Jewish thing into saying, well, we're not really Jewish, but we'll give you all the same rules anyway. <laughs> we just won't call them Jewish rules. Whoop-de-doo, right? Just call it something different for 1,500 years. And then Martin Luther starts reading this. And so his famous quote is, only faith, period. Only faith. Nothing more, because that's exactly what Paul is saying. It's not faith plus law. It's not even faith plus good works. It is just faith. So when you start there, then you start building. You start growing and you start developing the faith that you have. So being justified by faith is a process. And it has a definite beginning, 
But each day now, we live by faith. Each day, from that first day, when we come to faith, we call it, then we continue to grow and develop the faith. We do things like going to Bible study. And we do things like helping others. We take responsibility for this greatest gift we could ever receive. And we nurture it, and we preserve it, and we love it, and we develop it, and we help it, and we do all kinds of wonderful things with it. Rather than, as Jesus says, hiding it under a bushel. Any thoughts on that? Don't want to get ahead of here. All right, drop down to 19. That sounds like fun. We are crucified with Christ. Paul is saying that because what he's trying to say is the law is dead. Again, you can't have the law in Jesus. So because Jesus died, we, as we accept Christ, die with him. That we might be resurrected with him. And so as Jesus comes out of the tomb and runs into Mary Easter morning, as he pops into the room with the disciples Easter afternoon, as he meets with the two guys on the road to, road to Emmaus. What's he talking about? Does he come out of the tomb and say, Thou shalt not do A, B, and C, and X, Y, and Z. Is that what Jesus says? No. Peace. Let's hang out. And oh, by the way, what do you have to eat? Remember, I don't like lima beans. That's in there. More modern translations, but it's... So, what Jesus speaks after the resurrection is incredibly important. After Easter this year, we're going to do walk down through all those scenes of the risen Christ. It's going to be awesome. And listen carefully to what Jesus says. So there's nothing about the law, there's nothing about, about guilt, there's nothing about judgment, there's nothing about you know any of that. It's just, wow. I died so that you no longer have to deal with all that nonsense. You're free. Now what are you going to do about it? But the law is dead. So dying with Christ means that we now allow the law of grace, if you want to talk about law, the law of grace to now dominate our lives. Now, here's the deal. Peter began with believing that the new covenant was comprehensive and sufficient. In other words, grace. Paul is saying that Peter has changed the definition of the covenant. Paul believes that Christ's work of salvation is complete and nothing more can be added. We don't need the law anymore. It was valuable in its day, but it is no longer valuable. Paul is saying that the law needs to, we need to consider the law back then it was good, but relegate the law to its place in history and leave it there. 
but it has no bearing on the present. Our lives before God, therefore, are not based any longer on, Paul says, observing the law, but rather our life is found in the death and resurrection of Christ and must result in, chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what Paul would say. Peter, on the other hand, started to entertain the notion that the new covenant could use a little tweaking. Not twerking, tweaking. He allowed himself to be manipulated into changing the essence of the truth. And if any of us begin to do that, remember what we studied in Revelation. Add anything? Going to add, add to the curses. Subtract anything? I'm going to subtract from heaven from you. Right? Jesus takes this very seriously. So, getting to the end of chapter 2. Just wrap things up here. Paul is saying that Peter was denying his conversion. A conversion that was based on the sufficiency of Christ and Christ alone. Peter's social interaction began to deny his conversion by choosing whom he would associate with. Jesus is not selective in whom he's willing to save. Therefore, we cannot be selective in who we share this truth of salvation with. See, we represent Christ. And so if we believe that, Jesus does not discriminate. If we discriminate, we too are denying Christ. Have fun with that, right? I mean, it's pretty serious stuff. That's why Paul is getting so hot under the collar because you know, he can see everything completely falling apart in the church. Now keep in mind, they didn't have the printed scriptures like we do. They didn't have this New Testament. It's all word of mouth. And Paul is having to write to them from a distance rather than come to them and speak to them personally. This is a tough time in the church. And frankly, it's amazing we are even here today because it, it really tore the church apart. But there goes chapter 2, the fun and excitement of chapter 2. What are the thoughts, questions, controversies, arguments? I'll, 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 I'll arm wrestle you if you want. Come on up here. That's, yeah, well. What else do you want to say about chapter 2? Go ahead, Ann. Oh, I was thinking about how you were saying we don't need the law anymore and all that. And I was thinking about the Ten Commandments and how that's part of the law that we still do follow and very important to us. Um, and I was just thinking, why is that? Is And is it because it's based on loving God and loving others, which is also what Jesus says we're supposed to do is love God and love our neighbors? Is that why? That is such an excellent question. I can hardly contain myself. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I have, I have this figured out. Let's 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 see if I can get it to come out of my mouth hole. Um, the Ten Commandments are part of the law, are the basis of the law. Paul is saying that is no longer valid. So now you're thinking I'm going to go out and murder me some people, right? No, because we go to what Jesus says. And when asked about, well, what's important in the law? Love God, love your neighbor. What's the basis of the Ten Commandments? 
First half is loving God. Yeah, the second, the second half is loving your neighbor. So the you don't have to concern yourself with the individual law is what we're talking about. Those those little individual laws. So you shouldn't have to remind yourself, thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not lie, or thou shalt not murder, or do those things, right? And you shouldn't need reminded of, you know, honor the Sabbath. You shouldn't need reminded of honoring your parents. You shouldn't need reminded of. Does anybody have a manservant or a maidservant that I could covet? No? Okay, yeah, yeah, he's at home. <laughs> that was good, Hannah. That's all right. That's a reminder of that. That's 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 that's, that's pretty good, dear. So yes, so the. Not about blackmail. <laughs> I'm recording it too, so we'll, 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 we'll work this in. So yes, that's that's the principle. You, you can throw all of it away, but you know, in, in in particular, in the early church, it was they weren't. The controversy was not over the Ten Commandments. Nobody was really arguing over the Ten Commandments. Nobody wanted to say, well, yeah, we we need to re revise our murder law or something. Gary, help me out here. I, I don't think. Right. They're talking about the thousands of laws. Right. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. The, 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 all the food laws, which, you know, were still God given laws, a lot of them. Right. Circumcision. Right. So those are all those individual laws. You can take all of them and just shove them off a cliff. Because none of them mean anything unless you're going to love God and love your neighbor. And if you're focused on that, then, yeah, if you're loving God, loving neighbor, then by far you're not going to be murdering anybody, you're not going to be stealing, you're not going to be lying, you're not going to be coveting your neighbor's manservant or maidservant. So I'd really like to find a manservant or maidservant. Just, just, just to be in the presence to see if I would covet that. You know, just, that's, that's just comical when you think about it. Just, and, and kids have a ball with that one. I mean, in the jam program, trying to explain what that is to a, to, to a, to a five-year-old. Yeah. What, right? I mean, just what do you do with that? Probably got to study it. So it's just it's just funny. Yeah, we find some 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 clever modern ways to to to, to teach that, but uh, uh, just just an absolute scream. So yeah, so throw it all out. It means nothing. It's part of the law, right? So all the individual stuff means nothing. So food laws and even the big ones. So love God, love your neighbor, and you will do all of them voluntarily as opposed to being dictated to, I must do these things, or else, you know, I do it out of fear, that's not a good motivator. God knows that. You're big kids now, you can figure this out on your own. Just do it that way. Go ahead, Gary. I love the way in the chapter 2, it says, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died. Right. Thank you. Yep. Again, you know, combining Jesus and the law is, is crazy. It's one or the other, and if you're gonna if you can allow one law in, you gotta allow many others, and therefore you just push Jesus out. So you can literally you have to confine yourself to zero laws. So even the law of loving God and loving neighbor is not really a law; it's simply our response to God's goodness in our lives. I want to do that. I want to please God. Wouldn't that be nice? And hopefully, many others will join me in the desire to please God, that we can share that in common. But even so, even if everybody else is against you, I will still please God. I mean, Daniel, when it came to prayer, right? they tried a 30-day law. Nobody's allowed to pray except to the king. 
Yeah. I'm going to please God. We'll feed you the lions. I don't care. Bring it on. So, he's in there petting them and everything else. And just, 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 <laughs> Reagan, you had something really important to say. You know, when you just say love God and love your neighbor, I know with my two grandkids, you know, they're teenage, 16 and 15, and they're very impressionable as to what's on TV, and they think that's the life and that's the way it should be. But then when you have all these people that have so much money and can have the main the, the maid servants and the man servants and everything, and they're still not happy, I try to tell them that's because they got ugly in their life and they don't have God. You know, you, I, I tell them that. When, when, when you have God, you don't need all that other stuff. It's nice to have it, but you don't have to have it because it's not important. And I try to tell them that all the time, you know, because these people, in all their money, they just got ugly, 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 ugly. They're never happy. So... If, if I had teenagers in my house today, it would be mandatory that we would, I would DVR it so we could watch it at our convenience, but we would watch, together as a family, the Kardashians, Teen, teen Mom, um, I would pick all the worst shows on television and we would sit down and imagine the conversation you'll have after that, right? Because then, you know, Kids would be able to say, well, boy, you know, I, because you know, lavish lifestyles and all of that, but like you say, you know, you, it's obvious, you know, yeah, exactly. There is no, no happiness here. I mean, you know, things are getting a little, little crazy and, you know, people, act, I mean, we're, 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 we're applauding and rewarding bad behavior right. is what, what, what our culture does. Right. So, I mean. So, by the way, Bruce Jenner's having a sex change. Yeah, okay, just, yeah, I'm, I'm on that too. So, 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 that's what I'm saying. Watch the Kardashians, and that's that's really all, all you need to know. Yeah. What? You don't know who Bruce Jenner is? Olympian. He was on the front box of the Wheaties there for years. What, what year was that, Jay? What year was Bruce Jenner? 60... Yeah. But no. I would just get out. Yeah, I would too. Just. Yep, yep. But like I say, I mean, it's, yeah. so yes, restricting. Yeah. You know, we we do that in family. We make rules that you can't watch it. Now, little kids, yeah, you got to monitor what they're watching, and you don't want to watch them all these bad shows in there. But when they get old enough to understand what they're doing, you want to expose them to that because if you try and stop them, first of all, they're gonna they're gonna do it anyway. You know, you throw down a gauntlet of challenge, they're gonna defy you because that's what teenagers do. And uh, or am I the only one? Okay, so yeah, uh, you know, they're gonna do it. So I, I I would feed them a steady diet of it so that they see what not to do. And then the spirit, the spirit in them will will reveal that truth to them. Yeah. 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 Just oh, it's hilarious. It makes me laugh. Chapter two, going once, going twice. Dun dun dun. Hey, Cindy's got something. I don't know if this is a valid question, but they in the older church they talk about the canon or canon laws. Mm -hmm. Was that the law that ran the church, or was it a different law entirely? Yes, that was. Just basically bringing all that old stuff back in, and you know, canonical law, and you know, the the Catholic law. 
yeah, based, yeah, well, that's all you had back in the day, right? But you know, the 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 Bible is called the canon. Oh, I don't know if I knew that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They, it was. It's it, you know, canonized scripture. And so when I, you know, teach in uh, confirmation class, that's why I, I tell it just to see if they're paying attention. You know, when we're, you know, we have a whole segment talking about the Bible, and so because there's many other gospels, there's other letters of Paul, there's you know a hundred other things that could have been in the Bible that they had to decide was not worthy to be in. And so I tell the kids that the process was they, they had canon, so they would stick the scrolls in the canon, and whichever ones went the furthest, that's the one that made it in the Bible. And and. And someone start writing it down, then I then I, then I, I, I correct them. And say, it's, they're little sponges. They'll, they'll have to believe anything you tell them. So to, we have to make sure. But yeah, so that's what. But yeah, canon means official Latin for official, uh, authorized, um, you know, legitimate. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, you know, terms terms like that. Yes. So, but yeah, they had all these. You know, I mean, the, the, part of the canonical. Process was, I mean, the actual prayers, prescripted prayers. Um, I haven't seen it. it pardon me? A committee of scholars. Yes. Biblical okay. scholars. Came up with all this and said, this is what you have to do. You do this and you're, you're good to go. And uh, I've not seen it in a Bedford paper, but in the Altoona paper uh, and uh, most other big city papers, um, if you look back in the uh, classifieds in the personal sections, you'll, you'll, you'll occasionally see somebody will say, you know, take a, a column out about that big, and it says that if you pray this prayer, you will get everything. You know, you've seen it, right? If you pray this prayer, you'll get. I can't remember who, what saint you're praying to at that point. Doesn't matter. Saint Jude probably. Um, yeah, <laughs> at, uh, yeah. Saint Christopher's out. You know, they, they voted him out. It's like Pluto. You know, it's like sorry. You know, it's like you know, we've, we've had enough of you. And, uh, wow, how does that happen? You know, can you imagine? Saint for a thousand years, and now not not so much so anymore. It just, yeah, he's a traveling salesman. That's uh, yeah. So uh, they they have prescribed prayers that will just have magical effects, and if you do do it this way, it. it will give you wealth and health and whatever you want and uh, yeah it's all on a book and just just follow the book and that's why you know you'll see in various expressions of the Christian faith they're very book oriented and yeah that's now that's that's getting more into law yeah it's yeah you know, when it's prescribed like that it has a law feel to it and it's just now it's just not not right yeah we have freedom in the spirit let's focus on that let's just have fun with it yeah, it's way different than you shall do it exactly this way at this time and all of that. Yeah, gets me a little, a little crazy. Please. Um, was it very obvious who was Jew and who was Gentile, like just to look at people? Because you know Peter's hanging out with Gentiles, and then all of a sudden, like go into a room, you say. Yeah, it was. It was even though they're from like the geographical yeah. Same region. Yeah, yeah. Most most Jews have a certain color skin and wore particular clothing, and we do that today. I mean, you know, certain professions by the clothing they, they wear, right? I mean, you advertise with what what you got. So yeah, it's it's pretty pretty easy to to determine that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, when you're in, out here in Galatia, you're in Gentile land, and 
there were just not any Jews. So when those Jews from Jerusalem came, yeah, it was pretty obvious. You know, the pomp and circumstance probably had the big hat and everything. It, you know, it, But in that case, yeah, it would be hard to distinguish. But that really wasn't happening, because you know, a, a Gentile. I mean, if you're if you're a Gentile male, and you said, "I want to accept Christ," and they said, "Well, first of all, we got to circumcise you." That's and then, I think where I keep like you know the last few weeks, like my translation says the circumcision party. Yes. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Tupperware. It's a circumcision party. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna have fun with that in a sermon sometime. Thanks for that, Aaron. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> Worst party ever. <laughs> oh help. Why didn't I ever think of it that way before? That's awesome. Cindy, what do you got? Home, like when the baby's eight days old. Yes. Yes. So they, they bring family and friends in and they have a celebration. Yep. So it is a celebration. Gentiles are adults. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> That's a bunch of a party. It's, 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 it's a little different when you're older. Yes. It's, kind of like getting measles as an adult as opposed to a child. It's, it's just way, way, way worse. Suitors, well, welcome to Bible study. It's, <laughs> Fun. <laughs> that's, like, ah, that's hilarious. Yep, the circumcision party. That's just. I think Bruce Jenner's going. Bruce Jenner's going to that one. Aaron's <laughs> <laughs> on a roller tonight. <laughs> 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 drive a truck through. Could you put that on the marquee for one of the sermon titles? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If anybody shows up. Yeah. 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 That's. <laughs> I've been known to have a couple interesting sermon titles over the years that people kind of wonder, where's he going with this one? So, that's, yeah. That's, was that Jim? So there'll only be females there. Yeah. <laughs> the circumcision party. So, but Aaron, along those lines, it was probably the second year of Saturday Night Live. Remember back in the 70s, there was the um, uh, uh, John Cameron Swayze. Remember that remember, with the uh, Timex watch? Remember that? You have to be old like me to remember this. But there was a famous guy. He was uh, he, he, he broadcast for the Olympics. John Cameron Swayze, right? So it was you know, all had precise timing and all that. So he's he had advertisements on on, on TV for uh, Timex watches and. Uh, um, so, yeah, but they used his, his voice then as a sales pitch for um, the, it was a Lincoln town car. And the, the advertisement on TV was, was you know, because it's such a smooth ride. And so Saturday Night Live converted that then to, it is so smooth, you could perform a circumcision in the back seat. <laughs> and so they, they, they did it, it was, 
It was memorable. It was it was pretty, pretty. I mean, a lot of build up and everything about this, how smooth this ride is and everything. And then you know, you hear a kid screaming in the background. It was. That was, yeah, was, yeah, was probably 1977. I want to say. That yeah, was right, 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 right in between uh, uh, the, the 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 samurai gig with uh, with uh, John Bellucci and uh, and and the Bassomatic with uh, with. Uh, <laughs> Pretty good stuff, Reagan. Now, now the Jews believe if you don't, if you're not circumcised, you won't go to heaven, correct? Correct. But that's that's just their law. I mean, that's in the Old Testament that was all thrown out with like the pork and all like that. So because that's because that's a law. Right. Well, and that's what we're going to get into in the next chapter. <laughs> Sooners, we usually don't have this much fun, but this is so Reagan. That's exactly where we're going to start with chapter three. Is that No, we're going to go to Abraham and circumcision. Yes. Because, yes, that's what Paul wants. He's, 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 he's done a comprehensive analysis of the law. He's coming at it from every angle possible. You I, have a terrible mind. I, I, this will be on the Internet uh, by noon tomorrow. So Call your family and friends. And I think it's time to quit. <laughs> Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.